The scripture reading today is from Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Quirini when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. In the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Many of you have been uh, hearing us talk about these two great books that Dane Orland wrote. One is uh, uh, Gentle and Lowly. The other one is Deeper, which is a great, uh, again, if you want a good book to read, but here at Christmas time, some of the guys here reading it in our leadership and sharing quotes, it's fabulous. I reread some of it for this morning, and it, it's just so good. But at the introduction to Deeper, he has a quote from the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, many of you know it's the story of Aslan and the ch four children who go to Narnia. Uh, Lewis wrote those stories for his nephews and nieces who were having to leave London because London was getting ready to be bombed, and they went out into the countryside. So Lewis, as a gift to them, wrote these stories to give them encouragement and hope, there is a great king who's greater than the evil that was coming against England at that time. But there's a scene in there where um, Lucy sees Aslan. She's already been in Narnia, and she's now a queen of Narnia. She's already grown some and matured and been through different visits there. And she says to Aslan, you're bigger when she sees him. And he responds and says, that's because you're older, little one. Uh, not because you are, uh, Lucy asked. And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Uh, that as we follow Jesus and get to know him better, he doesn't get smaller, he actually gets bigger. Even though we're getting older and we're changing, uh, it's kind of like in my experience in reverse that um, sort of my first real memories of Christmas meaning something to me is that we... 
uh, our family was living in Greenville, Tennessee, and we lived on Main Street in Greenville, Tennessee. We lived next to a big house, a ginormous house, to use Buddy the Elf's uh, description, a ginormous house. Um, and uh, we lived in a very modest house, but we were right next to one of the wealthiest families in the Greenville, Tennessee. But we lived on Main Street, and we would walk down Main Street to go to First Presbyterian Church. It's the church I joined as a 12-year-old. Uh, but they had the most amazing Christmas Eve service uh, there, and we would walk on Christmas Eve down Main Street about a half mile and go to church there. Um, the sort of the highlight for my dad was uh, they'd always bring up a soprano from Knoxville to sing Oh Holy Night, and a few times I'd see my dad cry. He'd have his he'd tie out, and he was you know damning his eyes because he gets so choked up here in this beautiful rendition of Oh Holy Night, and then we'd walk home. Now, when I was living in Greenville, Tennessee at the time, my house looked like a big house. <laughs> Uh, but if I was to go back to it today, it would look, I'm sure, really small. Now, just reverse that for a second. A lot of times when we come to faith and we know who Jesus is and we start to follow him, he seems like he's everything. But because life is hard and difficult, things come at us. We're followers. We're Christians. We know Jesus. But actually, the truth of who he is, the wonder of who he is, is getting smaller and smaller. So one of the joys about Christmas is to rediscover, reimagine, to refine how great Jesus is for people like us. A guy that I love to follow who has a great podcast, Ian Cron, he is a recovering alcoholic, and uh, he talks about different things on his podcast, but he talks about a pivotal question that came to him in his life when, after speaking at a large AA meeting, uh, his sponsor could tell, although he was a Christian, and although he was talking about his sobriety and his struggle to stay sober, his witness to the light of Christ in him was very small. And his sponsor could said to him, Ian, are you living in the right story? Um, and so a great question to ask yourself as we come to this Christmas, are you living in the right story? Because if you're living in the wrong story, it's a story you're trying to write or somebody else has written for you or you're giving your values and your desires to other people, but you're letting other people define your story other than the one who's made you and redeemed you. Because if we're living in the right story, if we're living in his story, and this is what Christmas is about, it's re-inviting us to live in his story for us. And when that's happening, Jesus just gets so big and so great. He becomes so beautiful and believable. And Christmas is all about rediscovering the beauty of who God is, that he would send his son, his only son, to be born as a child for us. For to us, a son is given. So we have real gifts here in this passage for real people like us. And so let's make some observations before we look at the key verse that I want us to zero in on. Uh, this morning. So what starts the story of going to Bethlehem is a census is going on. <clears throat> and the Roman governor had called for everybody to go to their hometown and register for Joseph. That was Bethlehem, which lines up with the prophecy that many of you know in Micah 5.2. So Joseph has got to go to Bethlehem 
to register because for tax purposes. Now, a commentator I was reading on this said, Joseph had to go, but Mary didn't have to go. Now, when I read that, I go, sure she had to go. <laughs> you know? But he said, but Mary didn't have to go because she was not of the lineage of David of that, in that situation in a way that she had to go and be counted by the Romans uh, for tax purposes. But can you imagine the conversation, again, for those of us who've been married and had wives who've had children and all that, Mary's nine months pregnant. He's got to go 80 miles to Jerusalem from Nazareth, I mean to Bethlehem from Nazareth, and he's got to make an 80-mile trip. And guess what? Mary, you get to walk or ride on a donkey. (laughs) How does that play out in your uh, marriage? Would your wife be willing to travel 80 miles at nine months pregnant, pregnant to get to Bethlehem to give birth to the Messiah she knew she was carrying. So when I read that commentary or uh, commentator uh, say, she didn't have to go, I go, sure she had to go. But can you imagine the conversation that went on, and we're going to have to imagine here, between Mary and Joseph. First of all, they're living with kind of the, the embarrassment that Mary's pregnant. They're in their one-year engagement period. And even though I'm sure there were other people who were kind and merciful to them, most people think this is the biggest scandal they ever hit Nazareth. You know, Mary is pregnant before she's married. I mean, before she's married to Joseph, this is a big-time scandal, big-time shame, big-time embarrassment. So maybe Mary said, I got to get out of town. I'm not going to be left behind, let Joseph run down to Bethlehem. But no, I think they both already knew enough to go, there's something very unique And they both wanted to be together and not miss it. They didn't want to miss it. Now, all of you know this, but let me just say it to you gently. You can miss Christmas this year. (laughs) You can miss it. Because inside you're saying, I I don't have to go. I don't have to trust this. Maybe you've sunk low enough or things are hard enough. You go, let's just get past it. You know, let's just get Christmas over so I can get back to my normal routines. You can miss it. But they both didn't want to miss it, and so they go. So uh, they get to, uh, uh, to Bethlehem, and all of you know um, that here we go. There's no room in the inn, and you can imagine, I can imagine how that would play out if Bowery and I showed up, and I forgot to make a reservation, and we're sleeping in the car or on the side of the road or having to go to some I don't know, maybe that Motel 6 kind of set up, you know, uh, where they're like, what happened, you know? But they show up. Most of you know the story. Jesus is born into poverty. It's a situation that where poor people would be born. So he's not only born outside of a comfortable spot for Mary, he's born in poverty. And what does that say to us? How does that communicate to us? Um, you know, one of my favorite Christmas carols is uh, Drummer Boy, Little Drummer Boy. Um, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. If you want to have fun, listen to the rendition by Mandisa. Uh, I think that's the right pronunciation. It's a very funky, hip uh, kind of uh, song of Little Drummer Boy. And they play it, and she's got a point in there where she's, she's into singing it. And then she says, come on. You know, and so she's like, come on. You know, get into this. And, uh, and in that lyrics of who the person who wrote the song, uh, the drummer boy says, Jesus is a poor boy like me. He's a poor boy like me. And 
today, but you might have showed up feeling just bankrupt. <laughs> I, nothing. I don't know why I'm here. And you feel very poor. You feel at a loss to know, what is Christmas all about? What, you know, where am I in all this? And you feel the poverty of your soul. Well, Jesus knows what that feels like. But I love the lyric in the song where it says, you know, he's a poor boy like me, and so I want to bring my best to him. There's just this excitement. And then the, the thing I love about the song is this, which we'll talk a lot more about uh, in the new year when I'm here to share with you. He says, until the baby smiles at me. Isn't that a great line in that little drummer boy song? It says, and I, I was praying for a minute, and then he smiled at me. So friends, I want to ask you, do you know the smile of Jesus over your life, into your life? Do you know what it's like to see Jesus smiling at you? Because it starts right there as a baby. And most of us know the joy of being a new parent uh, staring at your daughter or son and the smiling that goes on and how huge that is, an attachment for our children. Uh, but I love that lyric. And this Christmas, maybe the gift that you need, maybe this will make the best Christmas for you, is rather than seeing Jesus looking at you blank, dulled, uh, indifferent, frowning, disappointed, that he's smiling at you. This is huge. Huge. I mean, this is big. I mean, a lot of you love theology and scripture, but the big picture in scripture is seeing the face of God. In Psalm 27, God says, seek my face. Now, what that literally means is seek my smile. Seek my approval. Seek to know that my delight in you is so real that it's the very thing that you need. Um. One commentator on the fact, you know, had that line, there was no room for them in the end. He says this, which is very poignant. You know, Jesus, from the time he was born until he went to die, there was really no place for him. He says, I don't have a place for myself. But this commentator says, Jesus knew the place for him would be on the cross. That's the place where he would find his place because he knew what you and I know is that someone had to take our place or we would be miserable and lost forever. And Jesus knew that the place where there would be room for him would be on a cross. And so we go from the cradle to the cross, uh, say, thinking about, what, what is this all about? Jesus born into poverty, humility. He was coming to preach good news to the poor by identifying with us in every way. But the place where we can know that he is for us is that he found his place on the cross when he died for us. Now, the other cool thing is that, again, we have shepherds here. The angel appears, and then a bunch of angels show up. That Most likely, the shepherds who are caring for the sheep are temple shepherds. In other words, they're caring for the sheep that go to the temple to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. And that's just a cool thing to think about biblically is that the shepherds are up all night. They're watching over them. The sheep that they're caring for. If you care for animals and you love animals as much as some of you do, you know you care about them very much. So uh, one of the great uh, experiences for us in our journey is Bowery and I uh, have had four golden retrievers. We're on our fourth one. We thought we were done, and then COVID hit. And then we got a little check from the government that says, hey, you got some spending money here. You want to stoke up the economy. Now, 
we have rethought and thought more than once, what were we thinking when we got ourselves a puppy? Okay, so what were we thinking? But we had the money, we did the research, we went, to, we found the breeder who, who is actually, she's over in Denver, so if you guys are looking for golden retrievers for Christmas, I can give you a good recommendation. Uh, but um, so we researched it, we went there, and actually the woman who's the breeder in Denver said, why don't you come look at the puppies early on before you choose the one you want? So we went, actually went and saw all the puppies that were just born, and the woman has three children, and her oldest daughter was the main one who cared uh, for all the puppies and loved the puppies and all this kind of stuff, introduced us to them. And so weeks later, when it was time for us to go get our puppy, whose name is Moby, he's a cream-colored golden, we went to pick up Moby. But one of the things that I, I noticed is, is that the young girl who had, we'd met before, she wasn't there when we came to get Moby. And I asked her mom about, why isn't she here? And she kind of just shook her head. And I knew, again, this little girl had been investing all her time and energy to get these puppies healthy and happy and ready, but she couldn't stand to see that puppy be taken from her house. She couldn't say goodbye to Moby. Of course, she, we, she probably had a different name for him. But can you imagine for the shepherds who fell in love with their sheep to be thinking about what is it like for our sheep that we've grown to love and care for? They're going to the temple to be sacrificed. In that, you get a picture of God's love for us and that it was... So sad and so hard, and, and there's ways human language can comprehend, for God so loved, he gave his son. But those shepherds, notice again how God's kind of priming the pump for what's going to happen, is, is that they knew that there needed to be a, a lamb given. And so here we get ready for uh, what happens is that one angel shows up. Now, one angel is plenty, but we know the shepherds are immediately afraid. They're just stunned by the appearance that it's at night. The angel shows up, tells them, don't be afraid. But notice what the angel says. There is one coming with good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now, maybe this Christmas, the gift that, that God has for you is to rediscover the good news of the forgiveness of your sins, and the hope of the resurrection. Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away all our sin, was given so that you and I would know that. But here is the giveaway to how you and I need to rediscover again that part of the mark of somebody who knows Jesus is that our life is ruled by great joy. Great joy. When Paul's trying to help the Galatians figure out what in the world happened to you, now they're followers of Jesus, but they've gotten all tangled up, knotted it up, fearful, anxious, and doing stuff that betrays what they knew to be true about Jesus. They had lost their joy. Um, I was with an African-American brother recently, and I knew I could say this to him, and it wouldn't freak him out. But he has been through so much loss and tragedy that if I were to tell you his story, all of you would just kind of go, oh my gosh, this is a reminder of why we need Jesus and a Savior. But I just leaned over to him at some point and I said, Earl, 
Don't let the devil steal your joy. Don't let him do it. And I mean, he just, thank you, thank you, brother. That's so good. I need that tear streaming down his face. Let me share with you the reality that we have a real adversary, a real enemy. His goal is to steal. What does he want to steal from you? He wants to steal from you joy. Just steal it, much less great joy. But he is, he is chipping away, wearing you down. So when you think about following Jesus, knowing Jesus, the thing that's not there, it's not being experienced and felt, is that you have no joy. That doesn't mean you don't know Jesus. It means you've lost your way. And today, this Christmas, is a time to rediscover great joy that the Father has for you. So, you know, this is a good news of great joy. And then notice what happens. It's one thing if one angel shows up, but let me read it to you um, in verse 13, and then we'll go to 14. And it says, And suddenly... There was with the angel. Suddenly, so, you know, loud sound, loud music. Go listen to Mandisa's little drummer boy. And suddenly, there was a multitude of hosts of angels. So I'm sure some of you have seen musicals and plays where there's one person on the stage singing by themselves. They're doing the introduction to the musical, and they're singing. And all of a sudden, the curtain opens, and there's a whole chorus. Um, one of Valerie's favorite uh, singers uh, and music uh, people she follows with Genesis with Phil Collins. I kind of looked like him. No, anyway, so uh, no, so Phil Collins. So you know, when for Valerie's one of her special birthdays, I took her to a Phil Collins concert. Now Phil Collins is at this point Genesis is no longer there, but he's by himself. So he walks out onto the stage, and there's a drum set there. And he literally starts playing the drums for five or seven minutes. And he's a fabulous drummer. What you didn't see as the lights came up, there were two more drum sets. And so then there were two more drummers. And there are three drummers playing. And then the lights go up and this whole rock band comes out. And they start to strum and play the songs of Genesis. And the whole... Philadelphia, you know, there must have been 25, 30,000 people jumped to their feet and started singing word for word his songs. You know, they start singing them. And if you've ever been to a concert where people know and love the singer, people stand and word for word and sing as loud as they can sing with great joy the music they come to love from this band or this singer because we're made for worship. You're made for joy. You are created to know a joy that you cannot contain. It's just gonna, it's gonna leak out of you. It's gonna pour out of you. You love to love to give people joy. You're made for it. But has someone told you that's not true? Or has someone worn you down enough that the last thing to get out of you would be a little bit of joy? <laughs> You know, good news of great joy. Now, here's the big idea. So um, some of you are in sales. You produce great PowerPoints. Uh, and so if you're in sales and you talk to salespeople, they'll say, in PowerPoint, there is a money slide. It's called the money slide. 
So when you put up that PowerPoint slide, that's where you see the deal because that person says, I want your services. I want to buy your product. I want what you are offering me. So here is the money verse, okay? Because all these angels start shouting, chanting. They're not singing. Uh, they're chanting, but it must have sounded like singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, the thing about Christmas I love, it is to remind us that we're called, we're made for worship, joyful worship, happy worship. You know, one of the things that uh, our youngest daughter does with her daughter is they have dance parties. You know, so our little two-year-old daughter, they'll send us little videos, and our daughter will put on some of their favorite music, and it's dance party time. And it might just be our daughter with her, with her daughter. Uh, and they just start dancing and watching, you know, our little granddaughter, Luca, just kind of go crazy, you know, having fun, just dancing. So when's the last time you had a dance party in your house? When is the last time you said to your kids, hey, it's dance party time, and we're going to put on Wooly Bully, and we're going to dance, you know, we're going to have fun. We're just going to dance together because the gospel calls us to not only let our heart dance, but to physically express that in all kinds of wonderful ways where it's joy, it's joyful, it's exciting, it's not dull, it's not morose, it's not like, oh, this is boring. You see, most people live this way and follow Jesus, where Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's the way they translated that. Here's where they would... Uh, repeat that. Rather than repeat the sounding joy, they'd repeat their boredom. They'd say, Jesus said, I've came that you might have life and have it redundantly. You know, it's boring. Come on, why are you getting excited about that? But can we talk about football? Can we talk about the playoffs? Can we talk about World Cup? Can we talk about, I mean, if you want to witness joy and just kind of like crazy loyalty why you could say we're made for worship, watch the World Cup. <laughs> you know, watch Croatian followers, watch the Moroccan followers, watch them, and they're not ashamed. They've got great joy. They're on the edge of their seat. They are ecstatic, particularly when their team wins. Now, here's the good news. Jesus has won the ultimate victory over your story. We're living in the triumph of the greatest thing that's ever happened in human existence on earth. Jesus won the victory at his death and the resurrection. We're living in that triumph. We're made for joy so that here's the thing that you could think about going away from today. Where is God getting glory in my life? How am I showing the world the glory of God through the way I carry myself, the way I talk to people, the way I do my job. Glory to God. Now, you know, what's going to be fun? There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be great about being in heaven. But can you imagine sitting down and talking with angels? What was it like to be there? You were there when all this broke out. And what were you thinking when you started saying, tell me, what did it mean for you? We're going to be able to have these conversations with angels and say, Gabriel, what was that like? Michael, what was that like? Um, for you to say out loud, thunderously loud, glory to God. Now, the angels, before Jesus left heaven to come to earth, they had been worshiping him. They had already been singing, worthy, worthy, worthy. 
is the Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy. But they had no idea. Again, the scripture tells us that the angels longed to look into the things that we can know clearly. But at the time, can you imagine? Jesus, who had been in the highest place of heaven, became a baby. I mean, again, we don't know a lot, but we know enough that that had to rock their world. To think the king of glory would become a baby in poverty to implement the plan of redeeming God's people. Wow. <laughs> I'd love to be in some of those conversations with some of you when we're just talking with angels about what was this like? What did, what did it mean to you? But we know at this time, because suddenly they appear, they kind of like burst on the scene with the other angel, probably Gabriel, and they start giving God glory because the majesty of the plan of your redemption is over the top, like, oh my goodness. It's like, it is so amazing when you realize what God did when he sent his son to be uh, for us. Glory to God in the highest. Who loves like that? Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and who is a God who would have a plan to take Jesus, his son, and send him to be for us so that there might be peace on earth? There might be peace on earth. And I remember as a young boy seeing these Christmas cards, and, so, and we'll see a lot even this, you know, you'll see this verse with glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men. And it's kind of got this generic, and it takes it away from what the scripture actually says because if you have your ESV or... NIV translation is to be understood this way. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the money slide part, okay? This is the part where you need to ask yourself, is God pleased with you? Because the offer of his glory, his shalom, his promise of flourishing is reserved for those he is pleased with. Is he pleased with you? Now, if you have not come to understand what's revealed in this verse, you're going to automatically, here's how you're going to think. This is your default. Oops, <laughs> I'm, I'm caught here. God's not pleased with me. Because I look at what I've been doing, I look at what I've been saying, I look at the way I've been living, God is not pleased with me. And if that's what you're thinking, you've missed it. You've missed Christmas. You miss what it means to know to be a Jesus, to be a Christ follower. Now let's go back into that time. So here are all these religious scholars. They're looking for the, the Messiah. They're reading the same promises that we can read today, and they missed it because they were looking for a political power. There's some uh, implications here. They were looking for a political David who would restore the Davidic kingdom, but they missed it. They missed it. These were biblical scholars. They memorized large parts of the Bible. They studied the Bible all the time, but they missed it. And God doesn't want you to miss the power of what you read right here, that there is a way to know that God is pleased with me that doesn't have anything to do with what I am doing or will do. Do you know his pleasure in looking at you and seeing in you the fact that you've acknowledged that Jesus is your Savior. If you know that, God is so pleased with you. And here's what happens. 
is that if you know that's true and you've experienced it, that stays with you forever and ever, and you cannot sin your way out of that pleasure. That pleasure will always be there for you. He will always be pleased with you because you've accepted the gift that he's given you, and now he wants to pour more of his pleasure into your life, but you're going to get all tangled up. You're going to mix, mix it up because you're going to start to think, wait, well, Jesus died for me. I got God's pleasure. Now it's up to me to keep that pleasure going. It's up to me to show God how much I love him. It's up to me to live a perfect life. And if you fall into that trap, the devil has got you. He will steal your joy. There will be no joy. There'll be a critical spirit. There'll be a hard spirit. There'll be a judgmental spirit. But if you're focusing and refocusing on what God has done for you in Christ so that you begin to realize the nature of his embrace, that there's nothing that can take you out of his strong grip. Nothing. He's got his grip on your life, on your story. He is so invested in making that story more sweet, more real, more powerful, more joyful than you could ever hope for. So raise up your joy flag, friends. Put a joy flag on your car. Put it in your front yard. There is great joy in this reality. If God is pleased with you, he is pleased with you forever because he was pleased before the world was made to love you. You were made to be loved by God perfectly. You could never earn that. You could never deserve it. But Jesus made a way for you to be loved perfectly once for all, forever and ever and ever. You know that? Does it comfort you today? Does it encourage you today? Does it give you hope today? Don't miss it, friends. Christmas is coming. Some of you have already know the answer. How many days until Christmas? 14. Here we go. All right, there's 14 days. Don't miss rediscovering this beautiful that God pours out his glory and peace on those he is pleased with. And he's pleased if you can say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that so often we let the world, our, own, our foolishness, but most importantly our enemy, steal our joy. And we pray that you'd restore to us the joy of our salvation today, that we could experience together the freedom and the wonder of what you have for us in the gospel. So, Lord, may we stand with the angels and say, Glory to God in the highest honor and peace on earth with those he is pleased. And thank you that you made us a part of that great multitude of people who know the gospel and long for more of it to break through in our lives so that we live out good news of great joy. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand up.